Welcome to Spirit in Action. My name is Mark Helpsmeet. Each week, I'll be bringing you stories of people living lives of fruitful service, of peace, community, compassion, creative action, and progressive efforts. I'll be tracing the spiritual roots that support and nourish them in their service, hoping to inspire and encourage you to sink deep roots and produce sacred fruit in your own life. Let us sing Today for Spirit in Action, we're headed to the southwestern corner of Wisconsin to a couple of small towns that are just seven miles apart, Mineral Point and Dodgeville, because our guest, Aaron Dunn, is a doctor who lives in the first town and works as a volunteer in the second as the medical director of the Community Connections Free Clinic in Dodgeville, Wisconsin. You may never heard of Aaron or Community Connections, though there is undoubtedly a free medical clinic in your area. So what we learn today from Aaron will surely translate into useful knowledge for your city, county, or state, especially as our medical services promise to have the floor pulled out from under us by the threatened repeal of the Affordable Care Act. It's important to be aware of and provide support for the medical safety net in our communities. The selfless service of all of the volunteers at the free clinics around the USA is a major act of valor that deserves to be applauded, lauded, and cheered. On top of this, Aaron added to his doctoring credentials with his two-year fellowship in integrative medicine, which we'll learn about later in this interview. For the moment, just know that Aaron uses it as a complementary resource to his mainline training as a doctor. And on top of his medical CV, Aaron was originally one-fifth of a band called Point Five, though now they have six members. The point, however, is that Aaron Dunn is one of the members of the band and that it's a great counterbalance to really demanding work. So we'll include a song or two written by Aaron and performed by Point Five. But first, let's get Aaron Dunn on Skype to talk about Community Connections Free Clinic, Integrative Medicine, and the Point Five Band. Aaron, I'm so pleased to have you here today for Spirit in Action. Thank you. Good to be here. And of course, you're down in Mineral Point, although I understand you hang out in Dodgeville, just seven miles away from that. How long you been in Mineral Point? 11 plus years, since 2005. And since you're originally from Kansas, how do you like the North Country? We love it. Seasons are beautiful. This is a great part of the state. The people are wonderful. It's just a great culture and a great place for our families. So uh, we've adjusted fairly well and fairly easily. So we call it home. And you use the royal we. I actually assume that means that you have a spouse, partner, maybe even kids. Yes. My wife, Monica, and I got married in 05 and moved out here. And then we have three daughters, Libby, Josie, and Colette, ages 10, 7, and 5. You are industrious, <laughs> and you run a free clinic. So how did you get excited about this idea of running a free clinic? Did it have to be inculcated in you in some way? Was it because nobody else stepped forward, or was this where you were headed back when you were in med school? Well, throughout my medical training, 
you know, I've been fortunate enough to be around some medical people, physicians specifically, who have lived a life of service and have spent their time giving back, volunteering in whatever way they saw fit. And that was a model that I wanted to carry through into my career. I had done some volunteer work in my earlier training. So it was just something that was part of my routine and something I wanted to continue as just part of my career out here in Mineral Point. And the way the free clinic came about was simply from my experience seeing patients in my regular clinic and noticing that a percentage of them either wouldn't come see me or were unable to continue to see me because of uh, inability to pay and lack of access to health insurance, health care. So just one day I gave a call to the public health department and just said, hey, I have some patients who need better access to health care. If there's a free clinic in the area, I'd be happy to send patients there, and I'd be even happy to help volunteer. Through conversation with the director of the health department, I discovered that there was no free clinic really in the five-county area of southwest Wisconsin, but she expressed great interest in maybe exploring starting something like that as she she had been in the health department for several years and, and knew of the need for medical services. So that led to a meeting of various community members who were interested in uh, this issue. And next thing you know, we formed a steering committee and uh, board of directors. And then we opened shop in October of 06. You know, we have a free clinic here in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. So I'm quite a bit north of you. And so I know a, a bit about the free clinics, but I've actually never been to one. I know some doctors who've volunteered there as well. How widespread are they? And I ask that in part because you said there was none in a five-county corner there of southwest Wisconsin. I'm afraid that that was probably disappointing to you, surprising. It was a little surprising. But since since we opened in 06, we've discovered several other free clinics in the state and several more have opened up. And we've actually together formed a organization called the Wisconsin Association of Free and Charitable Clinics. So... Uh, you could look that up and see how many members we have statewide. I don't know the number off the top of my head. But during our exploring phase of getting things started, we did discover that there was a doctor in Sauk who uh, was running a free clinic or had just got one started, and he came out and kind of showed us what he did to get things going. And then after that, once we got opened up, then one started in Boscobel, one started in Richland Center. So now we have a little bit better of a network of clinics to help people in this area. And I'm assuming that Milwaukee or Madison had several of them before? You know, the Milwaukee and Madison have more of what's called community health centers, where they not only help the uninsured, but also the Medicaid population and really anyone in the community, but they're geared more towards low-income patients that need access to health care. And it's more of a, a kind of a Medicaid slash free clinic. But yes, those exist in Madison and Milwaukee, and we do partner with one that comes out to Dodgeville and helps us provide dental care, but we provide the medical care. And so what support do you get? I mean, you're a doctor. You could be making a lot more money taking care of rich patients. How do you get supported by the community or by, I don't know, Medicaid or anybody to make this kind of thing a possibility? Well, one of the most rewarding parts of this whole experience of becoming part of this free clinic has been the overwhelming support from the community. Not only have we been blessed with many volunteers, both with medical backgrounds and non-medical backgrounds, that dedicate several hours to help us stay going, but we are also chiefly supported by community donations. 
Probably a third of our budget is from uh, simply a letter writing campaign in the winter. About a quarter of our budget is from a fundraiser auction in the spring. And the rest of it is from churches, grants, and other uh, community awards. And we really get less than 1% of our annual budget from taxpayer money. And what does that actually support? Is this what buys uh, your sterile bandages, or do people actually get paid? Is there at least maybe you as a manager, or there's office manager? How does that work? Right. We have one full-time office manager, and we have one part-time administrative assistant, and everyone else is a volunteer, including myself. So payroll is a significant part, but also uh, we have a pharmaceutical budget and then, of course, general overhead, rent, utilities, that kind of thing, bandages, supplies. You know, we'll, we'll raise money to get an EKG machine or a blood pressure machine or something along those lines. But uh, really those, those things that you would think of running a typical clinic, but we're able to do it fairly cheaply. And what about things like x-rays, MRI, all of those things, which are usually pretty expensive? I would kind of assume that hospitals would love to give you some service because otherwise they end up footing the whole bill frequently when people who are indigent come in. How do you deal with those kinds of issues? Well, we're very fortunate to have a strong partner in our local hospital, uh, Upland Hills Health in Dodgeville. And from the beginning, they have been extremely supportive of us. They donate thousands of dollars a year in in in-house labs and plain film x-rays. So we're able to get pretty much any lab we need and x-ray imaging done uh, at no charge, courtesy of Upland Hills. And that's been really key to us being able to provide uh, a decent level of care. Once you get to some, some higher level studies like a CAT scan, MRI, or any kind of procedures, then you know, the patient negotiates with uh, whatever their local hospital is to negotiate a payment plan. And, and most hospitals have some sort of charity care policy where if the patient meets certain criteria due to their income, a lot of the bill is written off. Well, so many of us, I mean, the bills do look really scary. Actually, earlier today, I was signing up on the Marketplace website to make sure I got in again for this year because my income changed a little bit and I wasn't going to get any subsidies and it was going to be completely unmanageable for me to purchase something. So I was going through all of that. And sometimes that seems a little bit tedious, but not terribly difficult. What's the procedure for them to enter into your establishment? And again, it's called Community Connections Free Clinic in Dodgeville, Wisconsin. When they come into Community Connections, do they have to bring their bank book to prove that they're poor? No. We don't ask questions when they come see us. You know, we we basically ask them if they have health insurance or not. And if they say no, then we take them at their word and we take care of them. But we do have a person who sits with each patient that comes in and digs a little deeper. You know, why don't you have health insurance? Have you tried to apply for Medicaid? Or, you know, I see you're a veteran. Have you applied to the VA? Or I see you're over 65. Have you enrolled in Medicare? You know, and then we, we also, during the enrollment season, we also have a couple volunteers that help people navigate through the marketplace online to help people sign up just as you did, Mark. So, Uh, We do ask further questions, but we don't require any financial information unless it's required for an application for insurance, or uh, we do have a a program to get people discounted pharmaceuticals. Often those applications require information from the patients. But just to be seen in the clinic, we try not to dig too deep and we take people at their word. And we find that with that policy, we're very rarely uh, abused. 
you know, I do want to drill down a little bit more on the experience of a free clinic, but then, of course, I want to get in touch with your integrative medicine background, too, because that's really exciting to me. But who are the people who show up at your clinic? Are these just your regular Joe and Josephine? Are they in some way different from the people you meet on the street? I wouldn't say they're any any different. It's a wide swath of people. You've got people who don't qualify for Medicaid but have found plans through the ACA marketplace to be unaffordable, so they chose not to buy insurance, or they they tried to buy the insurance through the marketplace, and then after a few months they couldn't afford the premium or they couldn't afford the deductible. There's patients who are on Medicaid, and then maybe they make a little more money the next month, and then they get dropped from Medicaid. See, Medicaid in Wisconsin is month to month, so you have to submit an income every month in order to continue to qualify. So we see a lot of people who fall through those gaps. And then we do see people who aren't eligible for either Medicaid or subsidies through the marketplace, either because of citizenship or some other reason. So it's a combination of those. And I assume you don't make judgments about this, but if someone comes in in a three-piece suit and all fancy looking or in a ballroom gown or whatever it is, you probably wonder how indigent they are. Do you get people like that coming in, people who you just say, are you sure you came to the right door? Very rarely. But our policy is we'll see anybody once. So even if they come in in a tux and, and drive up in a limousine, you know, we'll hear them out and see what they need. You know, but we, like I said, we always ask the question, do you have health insurance, yes or no? If you don't have health insurance, why not? You know, do you have any other needs that we can help you with? And then at, at the end of the day, we do ask two things of the patient. One is if we prescribe them medication, especially if it's only a few dollars, we do ask them if they are willing to pay for it. And if they say yes, then they do. And if they don't, then we cover it without proving ability to pay. And then the second thing is we always have a jar for donations. We don't make a big deal out of it, but we find that some people will drop a $20 bill, even a $50 check in the donation jar in appreciation for our service. So uh, we find that it all comes back around. So you've been the medical director since 2006 at the free clinic there in Dodgeville. Has this changed your view of people or of the system, of government, of medical care? How has that changed in the experience of those past 10 years? Well, let's just say I've learned a lot about how healthcare works in this country or doesn't work, depending on what end of the stick you're on. But, you know, I've discovered that our healthcare system is it's a complex web of stakeholders and the mix of private involvement and government involvement gets very messy. It's hard to know who you're dealing with in the healthcare system in terms of what their motives are. You know, uh, are they really putting the patient first or do they have other motives they need to answer to, whether it be a bottom line or a, or a superior or a government quota or, or whatever? Something is definitely broken. I mean, we're the wealthiest country in the world. We have the best healthcare in the world. And in my opinion, no one should go without access to that. And I do really believe that there is a fair and equitable way to uh, divvy up how this healthcare is paid for and allow for everyone to have access to it fairly. So let's talk a little bit about the volunteers that you have at the free clinic there at Community Connections. You said you've got a lot of people who are medical personnel and non-medical personnel as well. How many are we talking about? You're open for some five hours per week. That's when people are coming through the door, I guess. How many people are there? How many people behind the scenes? How does that work? 
Well, I'd say give or take uh, on a given year, we have about 75 volunteers that rotate through. And those are physicians, nurse practitioners, PAs, nurses, and then also receptionists and clerical people that help with pharmaceuticals, dealing with bills, et cetera. We have a a board of directors that are unpaid. We have a a committee that works specifically on our fundraiser auction every year. So it, it certainly takes a village. And like I said before, I mean, the support from so many different people for this cause has been overwhelming. And it's just amazing how many people have come together to make this thing go year in and year out. You know, before we got on the phone, Aaron, I told you a little bit about myself. And one of the quotes that I'm fond of, uh, actually kind of lament but feel fond of, is something, you know, I look forward to a future where schools have all the money they need, and I would include in that free clinics or medical clinics have all the money they need, and that the military has to have a bake sale in order to pay for their next bomber or whatever. Has it changed your political views of how our governmental allocation of money is going? Maybe it's not government only. It's it's personal, too. I mean, people are deciding to invest in hospitals, I guess. You know, I, I think we're certainly in a time where we need to seriously look at our priorities as a country and where the country wants to go. In terms of healthcare specifically, I have found that lack of access to adequate healthcare when you need it is a fairly universal desire, regardless of what political persuasion you're part of. We get tremendous support from people of all walks of life. I find that the desire to take care of one another in the community is so much stronger than anything else that divides us uh, politically. It feels good to be a part of something that the community so universally believes in and supports. You know, as we speak, it's very possible that in Washington, D.C., they're in the process of repealing the ACA, commonly known as Obamacare. If that does occur, I imagine it'll take a a year or something to roll in for it to become fully effective. What does that mean in terms of your work? It's really hard to speculate as there's so many questions about what the future of the ACA will be. But just a few thoughts. One is that since recent changes in Medicaid in Wisconsin and since the adoption of the ACA in Wisconsin, our numbers are probably down about 30%. And so we have seen some benefit in some of these policy changes, both at, both at a state level and at a federal level. And some of our patients have gotten health insurance and no longer see us anymore. And those, those are moments that we celebrate as a free clinic. Uh, our unspoken mission as a board is that we hope to not exist someday. And so anytime we're less busy because people are getting access to health care otherwise, then, then we're happy. I think that anyone who has looked at the ACA seriously knows that it's not a perfect plan. And obviously the fact that we're still busy as a free clinic is a testament to the fact that there are still gaps in the system. I think it's possible to make the ACA and what it established make it even better and change some of the things that aren't working, you know, keep some of the things that aren't that are working and, you know, improve access and improve affordability, I think there's a possibility there. I think if there are any drastic changes, I think as long as they're phased in over several years, that uh, we'll be able to plan for it and, and deal with it. So I'm hoping for a very thoughtful repair and improvement of the ACA 
and then a gradual phase-in. And clearly, since you're doing this, Aaron, as a volunteer, you've got some kind of a deep motivation about this. Now, I assume you also have an income as a doctor at other places. Uh, You don't spend all of your time here at the free clinic, do you? That's right. I'm a full-time family physician for uh, SSM Health, uh, Dean Medical Group uh, out of Madison. And so you've got a lot of work you do there, and I think frequently doctors have tremendous burdens that they carry on their shoulders. They know that doing their job well is life or death, literally, for a number of the people that they're seeing. If you miss something, it could very literally mean someone's death. So here you are taking your free time to go see more patients who are perhaps less well in repair than those of us who can afford to go to regular doctors you know, who can make an appointment and visit when we wish. Is the free clinic just how you kick back? <laughs> uh, no. I think a better way to describe it, it's, it's just more of how I give back. I think anyone who's sensitive to the plight of their patients sees what happens when either A, people are filing bankruptcy due to medical bills, or B, something catastrophic happens simply because they delayed getting the care they needed because of financial barriers. My hope is when I see a patient at the free clinic who maybe I diagnose with new diabetes that maybe wouldn't have been caught for two, three, four, or five more years, or help someone get back on their medications where they've been off for the last six months so that they don't have that stroke or their heart attack from their uncontrolled high blood pressure. Or, you know, if I can help someone kind of come off the ledge from their severe depression, anxiety, then, you know, you feel like you've done something good for the day. I think as long as there's people out there, you know, I'll keep going there after work. Although it can hardly be called after work. Is it actually a different experience working at the free clinic than working in Madison? Yes, I work in a in a referral clinic in Mineral Point, actually. But yeah, um, it is different. A lot of times the medical problems are complex. There's a long list because maybe someone hasn't seen a doctor in a couple years. Maybe their problems are uncontrolled and at advanced stage. Whereas in my regular clinic, oftentimes you know we'll have caught something much earlier. And there's oftentimes a lot more of a psychological component. A lot of people who need the free clinic are not doing well in life. You know, they are between jobs or they just had a divorce or they are getting abused at home or they're trying to deal with alcohol abuse that's complicating their ability to keep a job. And I mean, it's a lot more of a public health endeavor than most of the patients I see uh, in my regular clinic. But we have a good team and we're building a network of mental health services and other people to help address some of these several needs to keep these people going. Well, that brings me to, I think, a delicate question. Certainly, there is at least a caricature of poor people as being victims of their own choices. That is to say, you know, you've got diabetes or you're an alcoholic or whatever. Those things are affected by our lifestyles. You know, if you smoke three packs of cigarettes a day and come down with emphysema, this shouldn't be a great big surprise. So there is some sense that if a poor person does that, that they're somehow guilty. Of course, a rich person who does it is innocent because they can pay for their own care. I think that's the caricature in our society. Do you have to deal with some of those feelings, issues, or do you find that the people that you work with are equally willing, committed to dealing with their health? I think each person I meet is in a different stage 
of wanting to get better. A lot of the problems that we have to kind of unwind is there are multiple levels of stress that really impair them from making a lot of the choices that might get them better. The other thing is that I think there's some truth to the fact that we are our choices. I think that to rely simply on that statement is is much too simplistic because not every smoker gets emphysema and not every smoker gets lung cancer. You know, the question is, why is that? I think the answer is everyone is made differently genetically. Some people are extremely susceptible to the carcinogenic effects of smoking, and some are very resistant to it physically. They're just built to endure those kind of toxic insults. So not everyone is the same, and some people will get cancer or will get sick regardless of how healthy their choices are. And so being sensitive to that and being sensitive to what kind of level of intense stress most of the free clinic patients are coming from is usually where we start. Well, we're going to get into more of that in just a moment. But first, I want to remind folks that you're listening to Spirit in Action. And I'm Mark Helpsmeet here today with Dr. Aaron Dunn for this Northern Spirit Radio production. Yes, we're on the web at northernspiritradio.org with all of the great programs of the past 11 and a half years available on the site for free listening and download. You can also order physical copies of this program to be mailed to you. We've got more info about and links to our guests like Aaron and the Community Connections Clinic on the site, and we'll also toss in links to wider resources for free clinics. There is a link there for the Wisconsin Association of Free and Charitable Clinics. Get your pen to write this down now. WAFC Clinics. And this parallels with the name of the site for the National Association of Free and Charitable Clinics, domain name being NAFCClinics.org. But you don't have to memorize them if you can just remember NorthernSpiritRadio.org because we have the links there. Also on our site, our comments and discussion on our programs, and please make our conversation two-way by adding your own comment when you visit. Also keep in mind that there is a donate button, which you might want to click on when you visit. How is this full-time work supported? It's not by government or corporation funding, but by you, the engaged, thoughtful listener. But we should be at best number two on your to-do list of donations because above us, hopefully, is your plan to support your local community radio station. This is important because people power and the strength of our local institutions rests so significantly on the contributions of folks in the community. As Aaron said, the reason the free clinic can do the crucial work it does is because of the generous support of the community, both in terms of wallets and hand power. The same is true with community radio, and the power of community radio is to multiply many times the voice of the people. So start off by supporting your local community radio station, but don't forget your free clinic and Northern Spirit Radio. But let's get back to Dr. Aaron Dunn, co-founder of Community Connections Free Clinic. That's ccfcwi.org on the web just one of a powerful network of healers countrywide. Listeners at KCEI near Taos, New Mexico, will probably think of El Centro Family Health, and other listeners in Kabul, Missouri, probably look to the Missouri Ozarks Community Health Kabul Clinic, 
or maybe they go 23 miles to Mountain View to get help at the Good Samaritan Care Clinic. In addition to Aaron's work as Medical Director of Community Connections, he had a two-year fellowship in integrative medicine in Tucson, and the very tasty icing on top of the Aaron Dunn multi-layer cake is that he's part of a band called Point Five, as in they are in Mineral Point, and they used to be five, but now six of them. But now let's get back to Aaron Dunn and a bit more about the free clinic. I note from the website, Aaron, that Community Connections is open on Tuesday and Thursday evenings for a couple hours each. How many people come through your door in a typical week? We probably see about 15 to 20 patients a week and probably anywhere from 750 to 1,000 a year. And so these are different. They're not the same ones coming back weekly necessarily? Patients average 1.5 visits per year. Some frequent flyers, but most of them are new, yes. You're the medical director. Now, you're not the office manager, but I'm still imagining that this is a post that drew on more than your medical skills. That is to say, you may learn that you have a cut here and here's how you bandage it and you put this antiseptic on it, but you've had to manage people. And from what I heard you talk about earlier, there's a social worker component or a counselor, therapist, I don't know. A good bedside manner is probably even more important in a free clinic than it is in your paid job. Well, there's no doubt that I have learned a lot from my experience in this role, whether it be public health clinic management, operations, being on a board of directors, running a nonprofit. Yeah, even a little bit of social work and psychotherapy. It's been a great learning experience for me, and we've assembled a really good team of experts in all of those skills so that we can serve these patients as best we, we know how in the limited time we have. What is your waiting room like? It depends on the night, but by the time we start clinic at 530, it's usually full. And we don't have that many chairs. We probably have maybe 10 to 15 chairs, um, and then we put out some chairs in the hallway. And then when it's nice out, we usually have some people standing outside. But it is a walk-in-only clinic, so people do come early, and they wait patiently for their time. Sometimes there's only one clinician there per night, so uh, some of them wait uh, three, four hours to be seen. I was also wondering if you pipe in music. I figure that music tames or heals the savage beast. And since you're part of a musical group, I just thought that maybe that was running around the clock at your clinic. You know, that's a great question. I don't think we do run music in the clinic, and I think that's a great idea. The one thing I am proud of in terms of ambiance in the space is we've had a couple art teachers in the area who have rotated um, some art projects from their kids' classes and have installed them in the hallways and in the waiting room. So we have kind of rotating local youth artists of the future circulating through the clinic, and that's uh, created a nice space for us. And that occurred to me in part because you're part of the band called the Point Five Band, but also because of your work with integrative medicine, which sees a bigger picture than just the illness. Why don't you explain to our listeners, Aaron, what integrative medicine is? Integrative medicine is basically taking some of the best practices from other medical systems, other cultures outside of Western, traditional Western medicine, and literally integrating them into a traditional Western medicine practice. So we've been exposed to traditional Chinese medicine, Ayurvedic medicine in India, various other Asian medicines, uh, different practices, uh, herbal practices in Latin America, 
and herbal practices in Europe and tried to incorporate them to help people with problems that traditional Western medicine really struggles with, such as headaches, insomnia, depression, chronic pain, digestive problems, you name it. We also focus a lot on wellness and prevention, stress management, and nutrition. So can you do that at the free clinic as well as at your other paid employee? Yes, it's it's simply a philosophy of practice where you uh, you choose to focus on those things when you're trying to get patients better. Obviously, if they have a broken ankle or a cut, you do what you need to do. But for those uh, more complicated issues, I find that focusing on their lifestyle, their diet, their uh, addiction habits, their sleep habits, their sources of stress seem to be a good place to start in terms of explaining why they're feeling a certain way. I'm assuming that that takes contact time between a doctor and a patient to be able to do that, to ask those questions. When my son, who is now 30, was in his first year, he had ear infections, and we went to his regular family medicine doc first and, you know, got the usual antibiotics and treated that. Before we went back for the third time when we weren't having any good luck there, we went to a naturopath. And he spent 20 minutes, 25 minutes with us, which I think was maybe unheard of these days for a regular doc. Is there a difference between your two jobs, your unpaid one and your paid one, in terms of how much time you can have with your patients? Well, in both cases, there's usually people waiting to see me. In my regular practice, there's a set schedule. Although I am fortunate enough to schedule visits in 20-minute and 40-minute segments, so I'm not limited to too short of a time span in my regular clinic. And in the free clinic, you know, everyone's waiting for the next person to be done. So you can take as much time as you need, but you also kind of feel that obligation to not keep people waiting. You know, this touches on what I would refer to as the art of medicine, where you, uh, you're trying to maximize the little time you have with a patient. I find that it really doesn't take as long as you think it might to get some answers that you need if you ask the right questions and just sit back and listen. So you're a good listener, I'm taking it. I I had the hint that you were that. Again, your name came to me via my stepson and his wife, and my stepson's a doc, and they both said, you're a real good guy. I'm putting that out on the air so that people all know it, and I think they already know it in the free clinic where you work, and when they come to your doctor's office, I haven't met many doctors, maybe one or two in my lifetime of 62 years, that I would say were other than nice folks. But I feel like the system pushes doctors currently to cut short the human connection. I don't think you can do that with integrative medicine. Right. I think all physicians are feeling that kind of crunch to one degree or another. I think we as a profession need to fight against that pressure to see more patients in less time and really emphasize quality of time with patients rather than minimizing the quantity of time. The different forms of medicine that you spoke of, a lot of them from the East or herbal or that kind of thing, don't have as much respect as perhaps they deserve. Since you did a two-year fellowship down in Tucson in integrative medicine, obviously, Aaron, you are a believer. What can you say to our listeners to make clear what the mainline medical establishment perhaps hasn't gotten yet? Well, a couple things. One is traditional Western medicine is a, it's not really a health system. It's, it's a disease system. 
the American health system is very well equipped to deal with very serious disease, critical illness, emergent trauma, very serious disease. What we are not good at is keeping people healthy and happy and spiritually and emotionally well. The second thing is that there's a little bit of a built-in hubris in the system that, yes, indeed, we are the best at you know, treating an acute heart attack or a uh, major trauma or an extremely critically ill person. We are the best at that, but we, we hesitate to admit that we may not be the best at certain other things. And that leads to a, a very gradual acceptance to other schools of thought. So could you give me a kind of a concrete example? A person who comes through your door, you know, it's not a brain injury, their, their limb didn't just get cut off, but they're coming in the door and you know that there's some of the resources that you have because of your study of integrative medicine that's going to make a difference with them. Can you give me some idea of something kind of concrete, uh, without names, of course, but how does this actually work? An example would be, say, if someone comes in with uh, stomach pains, gas pains, cramps, diarrhea, some kind of digestive problem. Usually, after taking a brief history, you know, usually the natural algorithm of a traditional Western medical experience would be to order labs, maybe do imaging like a CAT scan or maybe some sort of scope to give some sort of anti-diarrheal or medication to regulate bowels or uh, to suppress acid. And that may all yield no information uh, and may not help much at all. Where in fact, I've had a few patients where if I simply start by asking what they eat every day, being sensitive to the fact that some people are very intolerant to certain allergens like uh, gluten or dairy or wheat or soy or processed foods. If we simply try two to four weeks of some kind of elimination diet where they try to eliminate some of those triggers, I find that they feel better very quickly. And then they're able to reintroduce these allergens slowly and discover what's really causing their symptoms. And that really didn't cost any money at all we, with no testing whatsoever. So I find that it's just going at it with a different perspective and asking the right questions and really not overlooking someone's diet and lifestyle can be very helpful. There's a woman who has an office near here. She's a nutritionist as opposed to a dietitian. A dietitian is a separate kind of study, and, and they're not the same thing medically. She, she goes by this name, the Bean Queen, because very frequently she finds that a change in diet will help people with a lot of their issues. 26 years ago when I was going through my divorce, I was diagnosed with irritable bowel syndrome for about a year. And when I got past that period of stress, amazingly, something changed. <laughs> I, I don't know how common that kind of thing is, but I assume when I went through the irritable bowel syndrome, of course, they did take a scope to look inside me to see if there was anything pathological. Is it worth pursuing both avenues, or is it really better to make this decision up front to check out what the stressors, what the diet is? Obviously, you don't want to miss something serious. And there's no really good test for irritable bowel syndrome to say whether or not you have it. It's usually a diagnosis of exclusion where you rule out more serious things and you kind of come to the conclusion at the end that it's uh, IBS. But it, it really depends on how severe the patient's symptoms are and what high of suspicion, what level of suspicion the physician has for something to be seriously wrong based on the history and examination of the patient. 
So I find oftentimes that you can do these things simultaneously. So, you know, I may be concerned about something internally going on and I'll order a CAT scan or I'll order a scope to be done, you know, one, two, three weeks from now. But in the meantime, we'll do an elimination diet or we'll, we'll do some kind of dietary intervention. And oftentimes by the time the test comes around, the patient's already feeling better and then we just cancel it. Yeah, because it, it can be solved. So w- what percentage of the cases do you think are responsive to this, I think, probably less invasive approach? Wow. Well, I'd say probably at least half, but it, de- it depends on the type of, of ailment. I, I do think at least half of digestive problems are related to diet or stress or some kind of drug ingestion uh, medications or some combination of those. And there's really good research that shows that if you can get someone to change their diet and exercise lifestyle, become a non-smoker, that will influence their risk of heart disease more than any medication you can take or any stent you have placed. So the, the, the value of lifestyle changes in behavioral modi- modification it has been proven to be probably the most valuable in- intervention in all of medicine. But the fact that it's not really sexy and it does take time to do and effort to do, and it does involve some partnership with the patient, you know, uh, becoming empowered, we as a profession often end up taking a shorter cut and uh, in the end doing the patient a a disservice. Folks, we are speaking with Aaron Dunn, who is co-founder of the Community Connections Free Clinic in Dodgeville, Wisconsin. He's the medical director there for the past 10 years. He's also been trained in integrative medicine down in Tucson, a two-year fellowship there, and he also makes music, and we're going to end with a little bit of that. But you mentioned as you were speaking, Aaron, that there's a spiritual element. I heard the word spiritual come through your lips. I'm not sure exactly how you conceive of it. What's your background religiously, spiritually, and how does this inform what you do as your work? I was born and raised Catholic. I was confirmed, went through Catholic school, uh, through high school, uh, went to a Catholic college. But I think more importantly, I was raised by two parents who really put their faith in action and instilled in me that as human beings, you know, we have an obligation to find ways to do good for others. That's something that I've carried through into adulthood. Now, as a as I've grown, I've come to appreciate many of the commonalities amidst most religions, and uh, I tend to focus on those as far as guiding principles in my life these days. And what I mean by that is things like compassion, kindness, uh, empathy, honesty, integrity. Those are things that guide me every day in terms of the uh, choices I make and the example I want to try to set for my children. But I really believe, and and this is part of my integrated medicine training as well, is that when you're trying to help someone as a patient, uh, we're trained to get at what is sacred in each person's life. So sacred doesn't necessarily have to mean, you know, what their religious beliefs are, but what what gives each person a sense of purpose and a sense of meaning, a sense of happiness, joy in their life. And I think as a physician, if you can pinpoint your questioning to try to get at that answer, then you can become much more effective in helping that patient, communicating with the patient, influencing those patients' behaviors towards a healthier lifestyle. 
That's exactly the answer that I was hoping you'd give, Aaron. That kind of view is sometimes ignored. Is it taught in medical school? I think that a, a catchword in medical training that's gaining more and more traction is what's called humanism. Uh, my understanding of that is basically, you know, seeing the humanity in each person and not just looking at someone as a diagnosis or as a disease process or a, as a sack of bones and organs, but as a person who either has suffered or will suffer and using that to guide compassion and empathy in practicing medicine. I think more and more medical schools are incorporating that into their core curriculum. Is there an explicit element of it in integrative medicine? Absolutely. Like I said, I mean, I, I think that the core of integrative medicine is finding what is sacred to each of your patients and then using that as your foundation and starting point for helping them get well. You know, there's a lot more that we could talk about, Aaron, but I think I want to end with a little bit of the music that you do. I have to believe that part of your health, yeah, I don't know if you practice meditation, I don't know if you practice prayer, I don't know if you go to Catholic services, I don't know if what you do is lie on a tanning bed, but I'm pretty sure that part of your mental health comes from playing music. Am I wrong? Uh, you're not wrong. It's something I've always enjoyed doing, and this is really, Point uh, Five is really the first band I've ever been a part of, aside from playing with my brother. And there's just something really fun about playing with other people and experiencing that joy as a group. So uh, whether it's you know playing in our parlor or uh, performing for an audience, it's, uh, it's been a real joy in my life. And I think we need to take a sample of the music. Now, you're living in the area where I was born or very nearby. I was born in Darlington, Wisconsin, and you're not too far from that. So this area, and you have an album that you're, that Point Five has put out called Pecatonica, and the Pecatonica River runs right through the middle of Darlington. As a matter of fact, it used to be an annual thing. You could see it in the paper every year that there would be the flooding as the downtown in Darlington would get flooded by the Pecatonica, and so they'd have headlines that the dry goods store is no longer dry, things like that. Could you say a little bit about the music that you do? Who writes it? Who's the source of this music? Well, we're a, we're a six-piece string band, and we draw from various uh, folk traditions as far as our as far as our influences go, uh, including a little bit of bluegrass. But our latest album, Pecatonica, is uh, all original music except for except for one. I write most of the music. I would say that that album is mainly inspired by what it's been like for for me moving to this area of the state, starting my career, starting my family, kind of growing into, uh, you know, uh, early adult life and what that's meant for me. So a lot of the songs are inspired by the local geography, relationships I've had, moments I've had in my career. So it's, it's a very expressive, kind of reflective album. And can you pick out one of the songs from Pecatonica, from your latest album, that will in some way give people a taste of where you're at, work, spirituality, world outlook? Well, I think probably the song that best summarizes my journey, so to speak, would be Tell Topeka, which is basically a farewell song to Topeka, Kansas, which is where I grew up, and uh, basically a, a reflection on the fact that we've now settled in Wisconsin. That's uh, our new home now and that I won't be settling in Kansas. So it was kind of a, 
kind of a farewell song there, but it's it's basically a reflection of how I kind of got to this point. And there's a line in there that I think people should be listening for. You want to tell them about it? Yeah, I think uh, one of the lines that probably summarizes summarizes my my outlook these days is, uh, it's not where you live, it's where you stand. And I think that they're so fortunate in Iowa County, in Dodgeville, and in Mineral Point to have you standing there with Monica and your three daughters. The Community Connections Free Clinic is certainly wonderful work that you're doing standing with all the people of your area. It's really been a pleasure to get to know you, Aaron. And folks, we are going to end with a song by the Point Five Band. Thank you so much for joining us, Aaron. Thanks for having me on the show, Mark, and thanks for all the work you're doing. That was Dr. Aaron Dunn, our Spirit in Action guest this week. Find him on Tuesday and Thursday evenings at Community Connections Free Clinic in Dodgeville, Wisconsin. Their website, ccfcwi.org. But you may be elsewhere in Wisconsin and need to look at the site for the Wisconsin Association of Free and Charitable Clinics. Or if you're in another state, perhaps you want to check out the website for the National Association of Free and Charitable Clinics. All of these links on the easy-to-remember and oh-so-helpful northernspiritradio.org. And the last link you may want to check out is for the band Aaron plays with, Point Five website point5band.com and you can find this song that we're closing with written by Aaron called Tel Topeka on the site it's by Point Five and we'll see you next week for Spirit in Action There's a little place hidden deep in my heart where the river flows and the golden prairie stars Where the winds blow and twist in the air Oh, I've been there There's a little place hidden deep In the heartland Where any girl can find a hard-working man Where the people say One nation under God Oh, under God Under God But tells the Pika I ain't coming home I was glad to meet you But there's something you should know Kept me safe and warm when I needed it the most. Oh, Mama, tell Topeka, I ain't coming home. Ever since I was in
times when staying rooted in one place defies the will inside to find a better space. Now I'm flying over country. I'm running in the human race. I found a little place way up here in the Northland. Got my wife and got my kids and some friends who understand. It's not just where you live. No, my friend, it's where you stay. It's where you stay. theme music for this program is Turning of the World, performed by Sarah Thompson. This Spirit in Action program is an effort of Northern Spirit Radio. You can listen to our programs and find links and information about us and our guests on our website, northernspiritradio.org. Thank you for listening. I am your host, Mark Helpsmeet, and I welcome your comments and stories of those leading lives of spiritual fruit. May you find deep roots to support you and grow steadily toward the light. This is Spirit in Action. With every voice.